0: Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 20 this morning in verses 29 through 34. Today's the last message uh, in our series on Jesus the Master Teacher. And for the past 10 weeks, we've been sort of attending a master class together uh, with Jesus the Master Teacher as we've been allowing Jesus to teach us through the Scriptures. And we've seen that these teachings in Matthew 18 through 20... Uh, they were all prompted by various occasions or, or various people coming up to Jesus, asking him questions, and then Jesus would sit down or stand up, uh, whatever, but he would teach them. And he would teach them in answer to their questions. But we know from the Bible that Jesus taught also in other ways throughout his ministry. For example, we know that Jesus taught through parables, we know that Jesus sometimes taught simply by setting an example. Uh, we know that Jesus taught also through his various miracles. And the passage we're looking at today presents an example of Jesus teaching through what we would call a healing miracle. Teaching through a healing miracle. Uh, We're going to read through the passage in just a second. You'll notice Jesus doesn't say a whole lot in this passage. We go, how can you be teaching if you're not talking? In fact, the only words Jesus speaks in the whole passage are in the form of a question. He doesn't even tell us anything. He just asks a question. And yet, as we'll see in the course of the message, this healing miracle forms a very fitting conclusion to this whole section of teaching by Jesus that we've been studying in Matthew 18 through 20. So in Matthew 20 this morning, verses 29 through 34, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 20, beginning at verse 29. As Jesus and His disciples were leaving Jericho... A large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. This is God's holy word. Please join me in prayer. Lord, as we come to your word today, we, uh, we ask that you would indeed open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, open our hearts to receive what you would have for each one of us through your word today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, please be seated. What do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? That's the question that is posed for us by our passage today. It's an interesting passage in, in many ways. Uh, for one thing, we, we already looked at an earlier miracle where Jesus healed two blind men uh, back in Matthew chapter 9. But you know, the context was very different in that passage. That, that miracle took place in a section of the Gospel of Matthew which focused on Jesus' miracles. This one takes place in a section uh, of the book that focuses on Jesus' teachings. And the healing of the two blind men here in Matthew 20 uh, has many correspondences with the passages we've, we've been studying that we've already looked at in this series in Matthew chapters 18 through 20. Let me walk you through that. For example, the, the whole section uh, of this teaching, teachings of Jesus, began way back in Matthew 18, chapter 18, verse 1, with what? With the disciples showing their spiritual blindness by asking who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They were spiritually blind. Then we came to Matthew eighteen nine where Jesus says it is better to enter the kingdom of heaven blinded in one eye then to have two good eyes and go to hell. Very next verse, Matthew 18.10, Jesus speaks about sight. He speaks of the little ones and how their angels always see his Father's face in heaven. Matthew 18.21, Peter is blind about how often we should forgive. Jesus responds by telling a parable, the parable of the Unmerciful servant. A parable which stresses the importance of mercy towards other people. What do the two blind men cry out in our story today? Son of David, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Then you jump into Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. The Pharisees are blind about marriage and divorce, the disciples are blind about the value of little children, the rich young man is blind about how to obtain salvation. Matthew chapter twenty, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. The workers who are hired first are blind about God's justice, mercy, and grace. Matthew twenty verse twenty-two, James and John, whom we looked at last week, are blind about what it actually means to have the highest seats in heaven. And then finally, you come to Matthew twenty twenty-four, and we come full circle. Because after all of this teaching, three chapters of teaching, and who knows how many weeks Jesus spent teaching all things, we come full circle because the disciples, once again, are blind about what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And so even though this is a healing story, a miracle story, it is full of rich teaching. As we compare and contrast these two blind men with, with all that just happened in the previous passages, and then also as we learn... From their example. Uh, There is an outline in your worship guide this morning. I would encourage you to take that out at this time to follow along, maybe jot down some notes of of some things that God might be speaking to you through the message today. You know, the two men, these uh, two blind men who are calling out to Jesus by the side of the road, they're not only the occasion for today's passage, but they also present to us an example. that's where we begin this morning. We want to look at their example of persistent faith. They're an example of persistent faith. So verses 29 through 31. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them. told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now, this whole event takes place on Palm Sunday. You may not know that. This is a Palm Sunday event. It takes place early in the day. We've been seeing how Jesus and his disciples are drawing closer to Jerusalem. They're almost there now. They're just leaving Jericho. Jericho is just 15 miles away. It's northeast of the city. It's less than a day's walk away. This large crowd that, we, that says it's following Jesus, that's the crowd that's going to follow him into Jerusalem. Others are going to join them, but this, that's the large crowd that's going to follow him in for the triumphal entry. And as they're leaving Jericho, they encounter these two blind men. They're sitting there by the side of the road. We're not told their names here, but we know from the Gospel of Mark, one of their names is Bartimaeus. You may have heard of blind Bartimaeus before. He's one of these two blind men. And, of course, there's a large crowd, so a lot of noise and voices and conversation and excitement going on. And and so the blind men, I'm sure, sure ask, what's going on? When they hear that it's Jesus that's going by, they begin shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. I want you to notice a, a number of things about these blind men that show us their example of persistent faith. First of all, notice that their cry is a cry for mercy cry for mercy. They do not call out their merits. They do not call out all the good things they have done for others. They, they don't present a list of reasons why Jesus should stop and help them. Their attitude is not, Lord, look what I can do for you, or Lord, look what I have done for you, but rather, oh Lord, I need what only you can do for me. Their cry is the same cry that the two blind men we encountered earlier in the Gospel of Matthew also cried out back in Matthew chapter 9. I'll read it for you. It's going to sound real familiar. Different story, different, different two men. But As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he got indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked him, Do you believe that I am able to do this? In that earlier encounter, Jesus uh, connected their cry for mercy with faith. It's the same way with our the two men in our story today. Their cry for mercy, this is an expression of faith. They hear that it's Jesus, that Jesus is passing by, and they, they seize the moment. Because as far as they know, this might be it. This might be their one opportunity to encounter Christ. They're not about to miss it. And there's a lesson Uh, Here for us as well, isn't it? Don't let Jesus pass you by. Don't let Jesus pass you by. You never know whether this may be your only opportunity to come to Christ. None of us has a claim on tomorrow. None of us has a claim on this afternoon. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of salvation. Don't miss out on an opportunity for salvation. Don't miss out on opportunities for Christian growth when you feel Jesus calling you in other ways, even as a believer. Don't let Jesus pass you by. These two men were determined not to miss out on this opportunity. They cry out for mercy. It is a sign of faith. You see, faith in Jesus begins with an acknowledgement of your need. An acknowledgement of your need. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 3, He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And to be poor in spirit means uh, to have a sense of your own sin, a sense of your own unworthiness before God, a sense of your need before God. To be poor in spirit means that you are trusting God's mercy rather than your own merit. These two blind men by the side of the road, boy, they knew their need very well, didn't they? They were blind, they could not see. Their cry for mercy was both an acknowledgement of their need and a demonstration of faith. Now, crying out for mercy, that's a good start. That's a good place to begin. But you know what? True faith moves on now from the problem to the solution. And so these two men not only cried out for mercy, but they call on Jesus as Messiah and Lord. When they hear that it's Jesus that's passing by, what do they shout? They say, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Well, Lord is Lord. That expression, Son of David, that's another name for the Messiah. The Bible said when Messiah came, he would come in the line of David. And so, this title, Son of David, this was a very popular way to talk about the Messiah, to refer to the Messiah. Also, according to the Old Testament, when the Messiah came, one of the things he would do, one of the ways you would recognize him is he would, get this, open the eyes of the blind. We read that earlier in the service from Isaiah 35. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue, shout for joy. Jesus did all of those things. We saw that when we studied the miracles of Jesus. And in calling Jesus the son of David, these two blind men were expressing confidence in faith that Jesus was the promised Messiah. This is near the end of Jesus's ministry now. I'm sure they had heard about Jesus healing other people, his reputation, including others who were blind. They're saying, he's got to be the Messiah. And so they not only cry out for mercy, they call on Jesus as Messiah and Lord, believing as the Messiah, he has the power to heal them. And so this is the next step of saving faith, right? First, we acknowledge our need before God. God, I'm a sinner. God, I need salvation. I need forgiveness. We cry out for mercy. Then we call on Jesus as the promised Messiah and Lord who alone can forgive our sins, And meet our need. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 13 says this. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Will be saved. So these two blind men. They they cried out for mercy. They called on Jesus as Messiah and Lord. And then they also persevered through the obstacles. They persevered through the obstacles. First, there's their blindness. Well, that wasn't an obstacle, wasn't it? Their blindness was an obstacle to finding Jesus, to locating Him in the crowd. And then there's the, the large crowd itself. I mean, who are they really think that they can get Jesus' attention with so many other people around? Then not, not only that, but when they do start shouting out, what does the crowd do? They tell them to be quiet, hush, be quiet another obstacle. But you know what? They didn't give up, did they? In fact, when the crowd told them to be quiet, they just shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. They persevered through the obstacles. And the Bible tells us that true saving faith is a persevering faith. It is a faith that does not give up. Luke 18, 1 tells us that Jesus told his disciples a parable once to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's what these two blind men are doing. They're persevering. They're not giving up. Acts 14, tells us we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must persevere. These two blind men, they demonstrate for us persistent faith. They cry for mercy. They call on Jesus as Messiah and Lord. They persevere through the obstacles. So how does Jesus respond to these two men's faith? He asks them a penetrating question. A penetrating question. Look at verse 32 with me now. Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. First notice that Jesus... Stopped. That's just amazing and wonderful in and of itself. Jesus was busy, right? He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's got the crowd around him. Jesus knows when he gets to Jerusalem, he is going to suffer and die there. Jesus has a thousand other things on his mind right now, but when he hears these two blind men calling on him in faith, he stops. He calls them to himself. Remember last week we saw what Jesus told his disciples. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. Here Jesus practices what he preached. In the midst of all the busyness and the crowd and all the pressing details of, of everything that would happen when he got to Jerusalem, Jesus stops to serve these two blind men. Jesus is never too busy for you. When you call out to him. Jesus stopped. He called them to himself. This is the the call of Christ. The gospel call of salvation continues to go out even today. And those who respond find Christ's mercy and forgiveness and blessing. But how many do not respond to the call? How many miss out on all of the amazing things that Jesus has for them? Jesus stopped he called them to himself, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. Now this is in stark contrast to the rich young man that we looked at earlier in this series, right? The rich young man who asked Jesus, what good thing must I do? Remember him? Matthew nineteen sixteen. a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? The rich young man was concerned about what he could do to get to heaven. Jesus comes to to us and asks, what do you want me to do for you? Because you see, it's not about what we can do for Jesus. It's all about what Jesus can do for us. Rich man said, what good thing must I do? So Jesus said, well, why don't you go off and keep the commandments? If you really want to do it by your own works, go and keep the commandments. Rich young man said, did it? Done that. Kept him since I was a young man. He says, okay, well, love your neighbor as yourself. I do. I keep all of these. So remember what Jesus did? He called his bluff, didn't he? Oh, you love your neighbor as yourself? Then uh, why don't you take everything you own, sell it, and give it to them. The rich young man said, I'm not going to do that. And he went away sad. The rich young man asked Jesus, what good thing must I do? But he was... Blind to the true meaning of the commandments. And he was blind to the depth of his own sin. When it comes to salvation, the right question is not, what can you do for Jesus? But what can Jesus do for you? Now, Jesus' question to the blind man here, it's also in contrast to what we looked at last week, to James and John. James and John who told Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. They didn't wait for Jesus to ask. They just went, went, went to him asking that. Now, they knew what they wanted. They tried to manipulate Jesus into giving them what they wanted. They wanted the highest seats in heaven. As we saw last week, their motives were all wrong. They were asking for power for themselves, not to serve others as Jesus served. You know who the real two blind men are in our passages today? It's James and John. If you're looking for two blind men, it's them, isn't it? Blind to their ambition, blind to the true meaning of greatness, blind to their own selfishness and sin. But back to today's passage now. Jesus asks these two blind men who are crying out for mercy. He says, what do you want me to do for you? It is a penetrating question because it will reveal their motives and it will force them to think through what they really want From Jesus. We're going to get to their answer in a moment, okay? But before we get to their answer, I want us to pause and reflect. And I want you to think, how would you answer Jesus? What do you want Jesus to do for you? And please know this, it is not a theoretical question. Jesus is alive and well. This is his word, and he is speaking directly to you this morning. And he wants you to be specific in your answer. He wants you to be specific in your request. What is it? What do you want Jesus to do for you right now, here, today, this morning? It is one of the most important questions you will ever answer. And just as with the two blind men, guess what? How you answer is going to tell a lot, isn't it? It will reveal your motives. It will show what you really, show if you really understand your need this morning. And it will also show what you think about Jesus. If you ask for something small or trivial, it will show that you have a small view of Jesus. If you ask for something large and wonderful, we show that you have a large and wonderful view of Jesus. John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, also wrote these words. He wrote, You are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. Come and do a king. Bring large petitions. But, there's another side to this still. We keep going back and forth. This is also very important here. This is not your genie in a bottle scenario. Okay? When Jesus asks you what you want him to do for you, it's not like the genie, right? Where the genie has to do whatever you ask, right? Remember last week, James and John, uh, uh, when Jesus said, what do you want? When they tried to manipulate him, ask for a favor, what do you want? They said, we want the highest seats in heaven. What did Jesus said? No. He told them no. Jesus is not a genie in a bottle. He is the king of the universe. Which means when you answer his question, if you want him to answer yes, you cannot ask with unbelief. You cannot ask with bad motives. You cannot ask contrary in Jesus' name, you cannot ask contrary to God's will. What do you want Jesus to do for you? The king of the universe is asking you right now. Here's a hint to help you with this. What is your greatest need? Yeah, for the blind men, their deed was clear. They they were blind. They wanted to see. How foolish if they had wasted this question from Jesus on something lesser. Like like a Big Mac. Or a quarter pounder with cheese. or, Or even we want to win the lottery. What a waste to have all that money but still not be able to see. Jesus once described his whole mission... His whole mission in coming to earth in terms of giving sight to the blind. We read about this in John chapter 9, verses 39 to 41. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. So now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Penetrating the question, isn't it? So here's a possible answer for you today. In light of Jesus' mission as described in John chapter 9, in light of this teaching story here in Matthew 20, how about answering Jesus this way? Lord Jesus, open my eyes to follow you. Open my eyes to follow you. It's a good prayer. It's good to ask the Lord for your eyes to be open. Let's Take a look at our two blind men now. Let's see how they responded to Jesus. Verses 33 and 34. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight, and what did they do? They followed him. And so the two men responded, Lord, we want to see. We want our sight. Once again, demonstrating their faith in Jesus as Messiah and Lord, believing that he had the power, this was his mission, to do this for them. Jesus has compassion on them. He touches their eyes immediately. Their eyes are opened, they receive their sight, and they follow Jesus into Jerusalem for Palm Sunday. Now, it's interesting, an old manuscript of this passage has an additional phrase. It has the words, that we may see you. In other words, in this manuscript, their, their response is, Lord, we want our sight, that we may see you. Now, it's not a part of the original text, but it reminds us of something, Right? that the first person that the two blind men would have seen when Jesus opened their eyes is Jesus. They would have seen Jesus himself. And shouldn't that be our greatest desire as well, to see Jesus? So on the physical level, the two men told Jesus, we want to see. But they demonstrated faith in Christ, and they received their sight, and they followed him. But one of the things we learned when we were studying Jesus' miracles is that Jesus' miracles always have a spiritual meaning as well. And on the spiritual level, we can look at this and understand that we demonstrate faith. How? By recognizing our spiritual darkness. And when we recognize our spiritual darkness, what do we do? We cry out for mercy we call on Jesus as Messiah and Lord. We persist in faith by persevering through the obstacles in our way. And we ask Jesus to open the eyes of our heart that we may see and follow him. And that phrase, the eyes of your heart, that comes from a beautiful prayer uh, in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, a prayer of the Apostle Paul. Paul writes this Ephesians 1 18 and 19. Telling them what he prays for them and for us. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart. There it is, the eyes of your heart. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that they may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. When you do this, when you cry out for mercy, when you ask Jesus to open the eyes of your heart, He will have compassion on you. He will touch you by his Holy Spirit. He will give you the sight that you need. And then you'll be able to sing those other words that John Newton wrote in the hymn Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see. There's an old saying, "There are none so blind as those who will not see." Is that you this morning? Are you spiritually blind, whether as an unbeliever, not coming to Christ for salvation, or, or as a believer that be struggling with sin or being hardened in your sin, refusing to repent? holding back on on what God wants to do in your life through Christ. Please know that only Jesus can save you from your sins. Only Jesus can open your blind eyes and help you to see. You need to believe God's promise. We looked at it already from Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone, no exceptions there, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And when you come to Jesus believing he will save you from your sins, he will give you new life and purpose, he will open the eyes of your heart to his goodness and grace, he will set you on the path to heaven where one day you will see Jesus face-to-face. And what can be better than to see our Lord Jesus? What glory, what glory that will be. So Jesus asks you this morning, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you, he asks. What better response than, Lord Open the eyes of my heart, Lord Jesus, that I may see and follow you. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful passage of Scripture. We thank you for this whole section of Scripture that we've been studying these past weeks. Lord, we've heard so much teaching from you on so many important uh, areas of life. And Lord, now we we want you to open the eyes of our heart to receive all of that teaching, to be obedient to that teaching, to see you, Lord, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, to see you and to follow you, Lord, all the way to heaven. Lord, open our eyes. Have mercy on us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.